Hey guys, how's it going? Zach Johnson here coming to you. Uh, I Sell Podcast, episode four. Super, super excited. We have Amanda Peterson and Brandon Q with us today. Um, It's really awesome to get to meet people. It's our first time meeting. And we are just going to go through door-to-door sales. They both have been in door-to-door sales. Amanda, for four years, we'll let her kind of go through her story. And Brandon was in, uh, in the space for over eight years. So it's really kind of cool to see how that can really change your life um, moving forward, how much it teaches you about uh, being a great salesperson, a great marketer, a great networker. And so uh, we're just going to kind of dive right in. And guys, welcome to I Sell Podcast. This is really exciting. And uh, yeah, uh, maybe Amanda, you could start and kind of give us kind of a little intro about you and how kind of what you did in door to door and where you're at today. Okay. Yeah, sure. So I um, started door-to-door uh, as a junior in college and just did it as a summer internship. Um, I was actually a fashion major in college, okay. so nothing to do with any type of sales. So what drew you in? Like when, when you first looked at it and you were like, hey, you know, I'd like, was it the money? Was it? Yeah. Okay. Money, yep. So I had somebody come to um, one of my classes and she was like, you can make $8,000 in the summer, you know, and they don't tell you you're going to be doing door to door sales, right? They're right, just right. like, you're going to be doing this internship and mm-hmm. get to live somewhere else for the summer. Yep. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. Like I've always been a super open-minded person and I um, always like to try something once, right? At right, least. Right. So um, I right away signed up for it and, um, then I tried to back out and my parents were like, nope, you said you were going to do it. So, like, so where did you have to head? So I went to the East coast. So I sold in, um, Hopkinton, Massachusetts, my first summer. Okay. Uh, that's actually where the Boston marathon starts. Right. And it was like two years after, well, actually it was the summer after the like bombing and all of that went oh on. Goodness. So it was. It was tense um, still. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it was a very, very wealthy, um, we called it big brick. Yep. So they always put me in big brick communities because they said that was the type of people that I would uh, relate with. Yeah, would relate with better. And um, so first summer I sold in Hopkinton, Mass. Second summer I sold in upstate New York. And then um, third summer I sold down in the woodlands in Texas. And it was right during that really big flood down there. So I have all sorts of stories of like my car floating down the street and like I would get in my car and I'm like, I have to go to the next door. I have to, like they said, you know, next door, next door. So um, I would have water up to my ankles. So what was <laughs> it? So what was it like? I mean, like getting in, like you wanted to back out. Yeah. And, and then like you get there, you get started and it is like, literally, it is like cutting your teeth. It is terrible. Your first month, two months in, is that what you felt? I mean, it was 85 hours a week. Right. Um, and cold showers in the morning, um, you know, all of those stereotypical things. But I honestly, you forget about the reason why I didn't want to go is because I didn't want to miss out on being at the lake in the summer and miss out with my friends. And once you get out there and you get to meet these really cool families, it kind of all um, you know, it doesn't make you think about home as much, but I will tell you, and my mom would tell you my first summer I cried. <laughs> this is so bad, but I would call every single night. We couldn't have our phones all day. Right. When I was done for the night, I would call, um, my mom and I, I would be crying every single day. 
It's just emotional. It just takes you a toll yeah, on Yeah, I don't know. And she, you know, I think there was definitely times. I, I feel like I kind of blocked that part of my life out. I <laughs> I don't know why, but it's hard for me to remember everything. But she she was like, yeah, you, you kept saying you wanted to come home. You wanted to come home. And we just said, nope, it's not an option. You're <laughs> not coming home. Like, I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. So I stuck it out, and then I did it a few more summers. So I guess it worked out. And it really, it, re- it really teaches you a lot. And, oh, and, yeah. and and so so Brandon, similar story mm-hmm. in college. Is that where you kind of got into the door to door? Yeah, I mean, similar story because we so we worked with the same the same company, the same internship program. I heard about it. Somebody came to you know came to one of my classes. So it was it was freshman year, beginning of the second semester, and so it was you know, second week in January. Back back into classes, and I remember being just bored out of my mind. Um, back home over Christmas break. And so I was looking for something to do and they came to my class and they talked about the opportunity to travel. Like she mentioned the average $8,000. And uh, so I was like, all right, well, I'll I'll check it out and and went through the interview process and got selected. So I was a freshman at the university of Northern Iowa, wanted to do something within business, but I had no idea what. And so they were, as I was going through the interview process, which was really more of a recruiting process than recruiting me to uh, joined the team, but they were talking about communication skills, opportunity to run your own business. It was like, these are all things I need, right. pays good money. You can get college credit and it's, you know, an opportunity to get somewhere else rather than being home where, like I said, I, I knew I didn't want to stay home for the summer. And, uh, so I did it after freshman year, did pretty well, you know, got a check, was, was able to, to not have to worry about expenses, you know, in college the next year. How and, was your experience that first year in comparison? Because it's, it's interesting. Everyone has a different first year kind of story. Yeah. So that, that first year out of, out of the eight years I worked for the company and every single summer I went out, you know, 80 hours a week, tw- you know, 13 weeks during the summer and, and uh, did the whole thing eight years in a row. That first summer was the most memorable by far. And I think, I think, you know, the, the emotional intelligence that you have is probably the, the least developed in that first year. So that's where it's like, you know, like she's talking about, I, I didn't cry. I'm not quite as emotional as she is, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'd, I'd want to punch my steering wheel and, that, and there it's, it's the highest highs and the lowest lows. It really is all wrapped into one. And just, just the adversity and some of the stories from my first summer, it's, it, you know, we, we, we do not have enough time in this podcast to talk about all, all those, all those stories that we have. And, and the, so the first summer was by far the most memorable with again, highest highs and lowest lows in that first summer. It's, it's really incredible when you look at door to door selling. So, so, so you guys understand my story. I got into, so I was working in retail clothing, doing custom suiting in Lincoln. Okay. So I did that for like three years, built one of the the largest uh, custom express programs in the country for Dillard's. So was what the number one sales rep for there out of a very small market. Um, did that and couldn't, couldn't stand it really. I was bored. I was, you know, nine to five. That's, mm-hmm. that's just kills you. And I said, I wanted to go and do something bigger and badder and, and be able to make more money. Found this roofing company, small, tiny baby company, three guys, mom and pop shop. And we had like the phone would ring one or two times a week. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. And so I just had quit this really good paying job yep. to come to this company start and just cause j- and start from scratch. And I'm yeah. like, okay, what do we do for marketing? They're like, well, we buy these leads from this company. And I'm like, uh-huh. okay, they're not good. And didn't, I didn't even know that door to door was a thing. Like I had, oh. they, it didn't even cross my way of thinking. No one recruited me into it. There was nothing. I was just like, how do I get clients? And I just literally went to a neighborhood and I started knocking doors and I knocked 900 doors 
in a matter of about a week and found some hail damage and some stuff. And that's how this all started. Mm -hmm. So three guys, me knocking by myself, and then we built the whole team and did what kind of, then I found the way to recruit you got like people like you into it. And it's, it's just so amazing because that emotional intelligence piece you just do not have it. And when you do door to door one year, mm-hmm. it, it your, your emotional intelligence doubles. Yep. Yep. And yep. the more it goes, it just fine tunes. Like you can know exactly what people are feeling, what they want to do, where they want to go and where they're at in their life almost instantaneously from mm-hmm. door knocking. So it's really cool. What, what, what year was that first year that? So, so I, I started with a company in 2004. No, no. Is it nine? It's 2020 right now, right? 2020. Yeah, this is 2020. Yeah, this is my fourth year. So I started with a company in 2016. And so I started just as a sales rep and then sales manager and then that and then CEO. And and we, you know, I'm a big numbers guy. It helps me keep scoring. So, but we went from, you know, about $1.2 million in revenue to 11.2 last year. Mm -hmm. So in a three, in a three year gap, it's pretty good growth. And, and this year we're, we're projected to do $21 million in sales. And so, it's all pushing this, this level of door to door. And it's, and why we do this podcast is if one person can hear something on this that can inspire them to say, I can, I can go out and do this one more week. Mm-hmm. I can try this one more summer because I am seeing people that are successful and have cut their teeth on door to door because I just know the value. It's, it's college on steroids. If you ask me, oh, yeah. like I learned way more yes. in door to door selling than I did in college. Would you guys agree? Yeah. I always, <coughs> I personally always say I'm like college was good for, you know, the people that I met and for the getting to hear about door to door. But literally I talk about this all the time door to door. I mean, completely changed my life and my course of my life and what I wanted to do. And you know, I brought it into my second career of Tom James, which was custom clothing. And I actually was able in the whole company, my um, first year in the business, I was number two in new clients in the whole company. Because if I didn't have a sale that day, I literally went to an office building in, in Omaha, downtown or wherever. And I looked at the um, list of names. I'm like, okay, an attorney, I'm going up to their room. And I would go, I would go into their office and I would ask for that person. And I would just say, I, I just need to talk to them. Yep. And that's how I found my client. So it was like business to business almost. But still the same door, exactly. thing, the same principles you learned in door to door. never had that, um, I guess, ballsiness to do that if I hadn't done door to door and yep. like coaching people to do that. Cause I coached people in Tom James how to do that. It was crazy how scared people were. And I'm like, you just have to do it. Like we just have to do it. And, but I think I, it was easy for me to say because I had gone out and lived somewhere else and done door to door for 85 hours a week for years. And really what I'm starting to learn from all my reps. And and I think you guys probably have learned it too from door to door is the, the biggest obstacle is the, the overcoming of reject, like the fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. Once yeah. that is gone, once that is removed from the equation, like everything becomes almost like super easy, super quick. Like mm-hmm. when it actually erases from your kind of subconscious, you're like, I know that a hundred of these people are going to say no, yep. but I just need the three that say yes. Exactly. And when you do that, it's just, it's incredible what happens. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, the, the, the lead up, the lead up before you get the rejection is worse than the rejection itself. You know, it's like when you're out, like talking to people like that, that that feeling of fear that you have if you see like a, like a dad like out mowing his yard and it's like, uh, do I approach him or should I just like 
pretend I don't see him and just walk on by and I'll catch him later. But it's mm-hmm. like, you got to just like go do it. Or the mom's out in her garden and, or, or sheep's pulling in as you're like walking up to their door. It's like so many of those like uncomfortable situations yep. that it's like, oh, like this, this is uncomfortable, but you got to just get used to it. And just action cures fear Yeah, is like what you got to tell yourself. And, and, you know, you're going to have those rejections, but that, that part becomes the easy part over time. And we always tell, I always tell my guys like the three second rule. It's like, if you have the thought to talk to him, just move like you have three seconds now to get there that's what i always say like because a lot of times like when you first start you know when they pull in the garage Mm -hmm. and you're like okay and they see you coming and they're like you're like and then then you're like damn it they've got me you know like they they knew it and then you're like and then like you get so ballsy like i'm ringing the doorbell now you know like you're like hey i know you saw me are you seeing peek on the corner you know but like when you take the action to like get to the garage you're like hey i'm I'm not trying to bother you you know and but you're so confident because the action in three seconds or i love when when uh so i I usually um of my eight years of selling seven of them were down in louisiana and so louisiana is a totally different territory but we uh like one of the things that I worked in, like some of these like country areas, like way spread out, you get these people that like live in double wide trailers that'll be on like 10 acres of land, like big. And so they have these long driveways. And so like you can see them outside and they see you pull down the driveway and it's like a quarter mile driveway. <laughs> you got to just embrace that like discomfort where they like, look at like, who the hell is and driving down my drive? Guy. You got to st- <laughs> stick your arm out the window and just like give them the biggest wave that you can, like you, like your best friends. And they're just like, you could see they're like, who the hell is this? Yes. And you just got to embrace it. It's like, that. that's like the, one, one of the keys is being able to just like embrace being outside of your comfort zone that like, like really lean into the, the uncomfortable parts of the job. And that's where you have the more, the most growth. And it's really fun, I think, when you lean into the uncomfortable parts. Like, I, I, I was at a conference one time, and it, it stuck with me, and I tell my guys this in every training class that I have. It's, it's this, like, a mentality of, like, removing, like, the ego completely from, like, yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost have fun with it as a game now. I'm just like, oh, like, go to the door. I'm like, I'm not who I I'm not me. I'm just a guy knocking doors. Like I like I literally just erase myself from the equation and I just act like super like kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. And it is so amazing to watch like people's reactions are like, oh my gosh, this person is literally unfazed by rejection on like knock on the door and they're like, Yeah, we're not interested. I'm like right. But I this like I'm supposed to be here, so I like I have to do the inspection. And they're like, No, no, I I actually I don't want the inspection. Right. Um, so I actually was assigned this territory, so like I can do it tomorrow if that works. And like it's amazing. Like, yeah, okay, okay, we'll, we'll do the inspection. And it's like because you remove the the complete like the normal sea of like people. Like, I say no, someone leaves. It's like you just like act like you don't even understand what's going mm-hmm. on. And it's amazing to watch how people are just like. Okay, this guy doesn't get it. Let's let's do that. <laughs> yeah, you, you're, do you know what I mean? Like, confident. like they feel so bad for you mm-hmm. because, like, because you're just like unfazed by rejection. And I, I just like it's one of my favorite things to do because it removes the self. And I think that's what gets hurt most when you do door to door, is your like ego is so bruised. You like they don't know you at all, but like when someone's like no, when they slam the door in your face, you're like, man, they really it, don't it like. It feels me. personal. Mm-hmm. It yeah. feels like a personal rejection, but it has nothing to do with you. I mean, it didn't matter. You know, 99% of people, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. And that's what, you know, when you, 
when you can realize that it's like it's not personal, it has nothing to do with me. It didn't matter if it was Justin Timberlake knocking on their door. They were they were well, maybe not Justin Timberlake, but they were they were gonna like that was a ter- that was a terrible example. <laughs> maybe they that's definitely a bad would be like, yeah, I'll buy, I'll agree, buy, Brandon. I'll buy. That was, that was <laughs> people would Anyone lose else, people would lose their minds over that. True, true. Those they, curls. They'd let JT in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I love that. So let's go through like we we don't really have to stay on this whole door to door kick. It's like like how are things going now? Now, you've done door to door like how's life like is it just like is it is, you guys are getting married that's mm-hmm. incredible congratulations thank you how long have you guys been together seven years now so that was that was the years. biggest the biggest sale that I made was having her say yes to to marrying me that was the the, the uh, biggest the biggest benefit of, of my door to door experiences I got a wife out of it but uh, so October 17th we're getting married and uh, I mean we're we are Excited? Are we not excited? Yeah, you no, got, we're got this look like, oh, you're, you're speaking for me now. <laughs> I'm waiting to see what you were gonna say. I was worried you were. No, I mean, life's good. You know, I, I enjoy my day job. I enjoy my uh, my my night job, and and you know, I uh, and we've got two dogs that we. That what we, kind of dogs? Corgis. Corgis, very cool. Little, yeah. So we actually, well, we met, I guess, after my first summer. Um, but we really like met on the beach in Mexico. So we had both one of those won. cool stories though. Yeah. We had both won an incentive, the incentive trip for our internship. So and she finished her first summer. I, I had finished my fifth summer. So I, I had finished my first year of corporate recruiting. So all, all four years while I was a student, you know, working in the program. And then after I graduated in 2012, I, uh, stayed on with the company full time as a corporate recruiter. And so I was, I'm a couple years older than her. So I was in my fifth year. She finished her her first year, and um, she caught my attention because she was good. She she you know if she didn't do well in the job, I'm like, all right, I'm not interested. But she She's like she was top, really good, top level performer. Yeah, I mean, out yeah. of like 1,200 what 1,200 first year students that year in the entire company all across the country, she was number what would you say 16, I don't top know, 20, 13 or 16, but so, I somewhere in the teens out of everybody. Sold only nine weeks. Everybody else sold twelve weeks. She had seventy five percent of the of so. the time that everybody, most other people did. <laughs> what and, would you uh, What would you accredit like the success to? Because like like the go getter mentality. But like, what would you like? Not a lot of people can jump into a place like when you said you got into that the custom clothing business mm-hmm. and were like number two. Like, what is the what was the mindset and what was it that like helped you to be like in the top one percent or the top ten percent of of the of the pack? So I think for me, it was just like, I am super into every single day, I write my goals down. And even if it's a goal that I don't truly believe yet, it's something that I know is going to happen because I'm going to make it happen because I'm just a driver. And so whether it was selling books or with Tom James, I literally every single day from day one, I was a student of the game. I wrote my goals down and every single day I looked at them and you know, I would write down how I was going to hit that goal, you know, as well. So I think that was a big part of it, but it was just constantly keeping that, you know, in your mind. So when you go out and try and sell suits to people and, you know, everybody's mean to you that day, or you're out selling books, whatever it is, it's just having that goal in your mind. And I had in my car, so when I sold books, I had Brandon probably did too, like sticky notes all over my car. I mean, it literally, I got pulled over one time when I was 
um, selling in New York and the guy thought I lived in my car because it was like I had notes everywhere in my life and my food it's so and real. everything yeah, there. And it was bar like, yeah, on the yeah floor. and it was, um, but I had my goals every single day on my steering wheel. So I had p- posted it on my steering wheel, my goals for that week, and then they were broken down individually, action-based wise, and then I had my favorite quotes all over the car. So then when I went to Tom James, I kept that going and I had my goal for that week and then my goals for that month on my um, dash of my car. And I had it so that I couldn't see the radio. So it was like super annoying. And so I I wasn't able to move that um, note card until I hit my goals for the week. So I couldn't look at my radio until I hit my goals for that week because it it bothered me. And so I was like, this is the way that I have to do it. So I think, you know, where did did that come from? Do a lot of reading, a lot of, I mean, or was that just like innate? Was that kind of like, like growing up, were you like a very type A, like kind of person? Like I do step one, step two, step three, and that's just where that came from. Because most of the time salespeople (laughs) are not the most type A. No, I, I'm not. I don't know. I, I think that part of it came from, didn't they just tell us when we sold books, like you have to have note cards all over? Well, I, I mean, thought that was like something they encouraged. And again, I was a student of the game and whatever they said to do. You did it. I just did it. Yeah. I mean, Southwestern Advantage is, uh, as a company, they've been around since 1855. So they're, right. they're the oldest direct selling company in the United States. And so, you know, 160 plus years of, of being in the business, like they, just, they, they know. Yeah. And so yeah. that's where it's like every little thing. And so the, you know, as she talks about being a student in the game, I, I think that the, the students that experience the most success in that program or really any, any students, the ones that just follow the blueprint that's given follow to you. Follow the process. Well, and if you're going to do it, it was like, I was missing, you know, time with my family, time at the lake, time with my friends, all those things. If I was going to miss those things for the summer, I was not going to come back and not make money, right? And I knew that the best way to make money, I mean, they had done it for years and years, and so they tell you what to do. So just follow, you know, what they say. And so then again, I was able to bring that into Tom James and then now into um, Isogenics. It's just, you know, you just kind of continue to follow that. So talk to me about the leap from Tom James to now doing what you're doing. (laughs) Cause that's gotta be a yeah. bit of, that's gotta be a bit of a, a scary jump. Yeah. Like a, like yeah. a, a really under, scary an jump. understatement there. Yeah. No, like I can just, I, I, I run it in my mind and I'm like, wow, that's a gut check kind of moment. Yeah. So I, um, never, especially because I studied fashion, I was like, Tom James, this is it. Like custom clothing. I love meeting with, you know, wealthy, successful people all day. That's who you spend your days with. Like, yep. I love that. And I, thought I would do it forever until I retired. And um, it just, I, you know, I think sales is hard on everybody anyways, but, you know, most people that are in sales and that do really well with it, they are really hard on themselves, right? We're the hardest on ourselves. Right, and so I just, it was one of those things where nothing was ever good enough, and it was just, I was chasing that next carrot and the next carrot and the next carrot and the next carrot, and no amount of money that I was making was ever enough. And I think that that's great to an extent, but when it becomes um, emotionally unhealthy. It's draining. And draining, and I... You lose the why, right? 
Yeah, I definitely lost my why my last year. And um, it it's a really long story and we don't have time for that. But, um, you know, I never thought I would leave. And it just, it turned into, um, I started to get into a position where I was being micromanaged. And I had proven um, time and time again that I did not need to be micromanaged yeah. and that I was going to be successful and I didn't need somebody breathing over me telling me what to do. Yep. And my last year that turned and I started to get micromanaged. And for me, you know, it's hard to want to make somebody else money that you don't respect and trust anymore. 100%. Right. And so, and it's freedom too. Right. Cause I, th- I feel like yeah. the micromanagement, like it, like it feels like even though you might be as free and, and ha- it just, it feels like your freedom is zapped. Yeah. And then that, that then all energy that you had left because you've emotionally drained yourself down then all of a sudden it's like, okay, my freedom's gone on. Like my, like my tank is at beyond passy. Exactly. You know, you're, I, again, long story, but I <laughs> took me a year of therapy to leave Tom James. Um, right. Cause I was like, I've built this business, you know, I'm making six figures at, you know, in my early twenties, mid twenties, like why would I leave that? But I, we have talked so much about, and you know, these are things we learned through Southwestern, but just what do our future goals look like? And for us, it's, you know, making money while in our sleep and having a residual income and, you know, traveling the world with ourselves and our kids and him to continue his comedy dreams. And, you know, I want him to be able to do that and me be able to come alongside of him and still be making a really good living, but not having to be in the office to do that. And, it's really hard to sell custom clothes when you're not actually in front of the client. Yes. Um, so it it's just, not replicatable. It, it, even, no matter yeah. how good you are, you can't replicate yourself. Yeah. Enough. And you yep. can have teams, but then even when you have teams, like I did coaching and recruiting and training and all these other things, they still had, which makes sense. They have to make money. They still had these astronomical goals for you. And it was like, you can never step away. Right. You just can't. And yep. so, he was going to do his Southeast Comedy Asia tour, and I said I was going to go on that in my... Um, so that was uh, last November was when we, we went to Asia. And so we had planned planned the tour. We, we So I we went to uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, and Thailand. And so it was three weeks that we were uh, doing comedy in, in three different countries. And so she obviously, we you know, I wanted her to come along and... Um, so this was what, during the summer was when we were planning, planning the trip. And then, and the end of November was when we left. And that was what it kind of came to, uh, leading up to that trip was when you made the decision that, that yeah, it was, it he was had, time to move on. He had told me, um, you know, you either don't go with your fiance to Asia or you resign. Right. Well, it's, it, honestly, like, what a blessing, though, huh? Oh, yeah. No, I... She's, she's in a much better place right now. And obviously, you know, she'd be the first to tell you, it takes time to build up the business. So it's, uh, you know, a challenge that we we knew we'd have to face, but going from a six-figure income to a four-figure income. <laughs> right. Four figures? Come on. I Th- three that. figures? Did I give you too much credit? <laughs> no. no, no, but I, but no, I, no, but no, I, no, I, def- I definitely She'll understand. Build, she builds it up, yeah. Yeah, but it is cool to see, like, just how you kind of talk about... It's a decision that you guys make as a team, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's like when you have the support structure, that's where you can go from E and say, oh, now I'm at a quarter tank. Now I'm at, it is going to take time to fill that tank back up, but it's super kind of cool to see when you have the support structure around you. And I tell all like the people that are in our businesses, 
man, you have to make sure that the person you're with supports your dreams. Mm -hmm. Because if they do not, you will never make it in this industry. Yep. Because the first day that you have a hard day, they're like, yeah, you need to get out and you need to go to work. And you, I mean, I remember when I got into dorm, my mom was like, Zach, you should get a real job. <laughs> like, you should get a real job. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? I do have a real job. Yeah, this is. This is a real Sedals. job. How much money yeah. did you make today? Zero dollars? Okay, that's not a real job. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'll make money tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll make money. Well, and I think it just comes, like my parents still, it's like after having a successful career selling books and then a successful career with Tom James making six figures, my parents still are like, are you sure you're going to make money in this like network marketing thing? And they said that for every single career I've had. And the it's Tom just, James, yep. and you know, I think they're just so old school. It's so hard for people to wrap their head around like people do door to door and people do network marketing. And this is how people do it because that's just, my parents have never and and, it's, and they can make like and you that. can make incredible yes and income. there's no cap and nobody tells you what you're worth you tell yourself you tell yourself what you're worth yep if you don't work that day you ain't worth nothing that day because you ain't making mm -hmm. money but mm -hmm. you know so it's just I I don't know I <laughs> I think we constantly parent wise I'm like yes I'm gonna make money yes I'm gonna make money have you not seen I yep. made money like yep. you've seen it but it's it's interesting you were saying earlier about the goal cards because I'm a mm -hmm. big believer and I, I I I was a big reader my dad gave me a lot of books when I graduated high school he didn't give me anything he just said here's 10 books read them write wow. me a report and I'll give you a thousand bucks and I was like what yeah so super cool graduation <laughs> gift but I was kind of like I you know at that age you're always like I know better you know like I don't need to read mm -hmm. these books and I mm -hmm. and I had kind of went through this whole stage and I went got my two years of college I'm college and for me dropped out and I remember I didn't I was always making good money in sales like from the second I dropped out I got into AT&T and I was just cranking mm -hmm. I was like okay this is great I'm making more money than my parents have ever made like my first year as a drop out of college, like that shouldn't happen. And then, but got into a bad place where I moved to um, Lincoln, no money, and I had to read the books. So I, I didn't, I did all the sales just based on sheer ego and charisma. Mm -hmm. And I got in a bad place. And I refused to ask for money from anyone ever. Like it's like my number one, like neg, I will never do that. And so I remember I had rent coming due. Uh, in two weeks, and I knew, I, and my rent was $360 a month. Think about this. So I, I dropped everything and moved to Lincoln. And I, my rent was $360 a month. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to cover rent that month. And so I read, I read all 10 books in two weeks. And I just was like just ripping wow. through these books so I could get this report written. And it changed my like, it, my whole, my mind just like blew up. Like Think and Grow Rich became like my Bible. I was like highlighting and notating. I was like, oh my gosh, like all I have to do is write these things on a piece of paper and they start to become reality. Like this is a real thing. And just this year, so exciting for me. And, and I want to dig into this with you because this is what got me so pumped to have you guys on a podcast. I wrote down that I was going to 10 years ago, essentially, I wrote down at 19 and I wanted an Aston Martin without the goal cards. Then when I wrote, read the books, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to actually write this on the goal card and look at it every day. And just this year, I finally bought my Aston Martin. Wow. There you go. And it was That's like, awesome. you know, you, but when you see it, yeah. then you're like, I have, I can't pay $360 <laughs> this month for rent. Yeah. Like, how can I believe this? But it's, you have to intrinsically, like you're already driving the car. Mm -hmm. And every morning I would wake up, I'd be like, I'm driving it. 
Yep. Like I, I close my eyes and be like, yep, this is what it's going to feel like. When I get in, the door's going to slam. It's going to feel like this. And I know it. I know it's coming. And and you kind of had a similar, you you bought your, your dream car, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, 23. Yep. And so I want to hear. up from that dream, though. We're dreaming for something else now, right? Oh, a G-Wagon by That's 30. me, too. Really? That's my, that's yes. my next vehicle. Yes. Yeah, so we, yeah. we just went by and drove by them before we oh. just drove by the Mercedes dealership. Yes. There's a used one. I'm like, I should just go take it for a test drive. Just see. Um, but yeah, that's yes. exactly. That's my next car. Absolutely. Awesome. Yes. The most amazing vehicles. Uh, yeah. Brandon's not excited about it. <laughs> I'm not a car guy. That's, that's all right. I got, I got other dreams. He says, as long as you have the cash for it. You yep, can do it. Yep. So it's on my, um, it's on my goals every single day. And we always did uh, vision boards as well. Do you do? Yep, one hundred percent. And now I just, I just, I'm kind of going through like a little transitional period in my life right now, going from salesman that had no responsibility. Like I really, gosh, like we as salesmen, we are so like egocentrical, right? Like we're like we 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 really have so much to do. We like work so hard, <laughs> and then I'm like. I got out. I'm like, gosh, I really took that for granted. Like, I didn't uh-huh. have to do anything. I like signed, had people sign their name on a piece of paper, and then I like walked away a lot of the times. I, I was know. done, and now I'm like, kind of have gotten into this journey of managing a lot of people and building a company and growing and recruiting. That's the real challenge, right there, is managing people. That was what you know the toughest part for me. So those four I years, that was. That. It's not my strength. <laughs> It's not, it's not my strength is build, building the organization and, and leading others. That that's for me was the biggest challenge. And there are some people that are really gifted in that. But have, have you have you have you gotten to the point where you feel more confident in that? Yeah, but uh, I definitely do feel more confident in it. But you know, when I was making the transition over to financial planning, you know, one of the the books that I had read was the uh, What Color Is Your Parachute, which helps people when you know job seekers, folks that are looking at a transitioning career path. And one of my mentors said you know, find a career that is going to emphasize the, your strengths and the things that you like yep. and will minimize the, the areas that you consider weaker. And yep. so that's where it's like, you want to improve, you know, everybody wants to improve their strengths and improve their weaknesses. Yep. But you know, your areas that are weakest, it's like, why well, go into something that, that, that magnifies right. that area. So financial planning, while, you know, I'm, I'm looking to hire a mentee right now and I'll have junior partners and I'll have a team the 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 scalability of, of the business of a financial planning firm is not uh, but that that works not, for your genius though. yeah it's not predicated on me needing to recruit a whole lot of people if I can find a, the the right junior advisor that's that you know we're we're partners in the long run which is at, at the point where I'm at right now where I'm I'm you know pretty soon here looking for another advisor to work with but that's finding one person that's going to yep. be my my running partner you know with with you know running our practice yep. but I'm not trying to consistently get new salespeople yeah. or anything like that. And that, because that is, you know, not what I enjoyed the most when you have someone that you work with, that is a, a strong asset to the team. It's great. But finding those people or working with the people that are not, not your, you know, racehorses, more the donkeys on the team. And there, yeah. there's going to be those ones. That was more of a, a challenge for me and not a fun part of it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So for me, you know, like not, I never like classified myself as a leader at all. Like I always kind of like things always came easy to me. Like, I just don't know why, like I just had a natural gift for gab and like things just always came easy, but it's been so interesting. Like I would say that's not in my genius at all to be a leader. But or be a people person. Like I'm very blunt. I'm very direct. I don't like to mess around with like a lot of anything else. I'm just like, this is how it goes. This is this. This is this. We're done. You good? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that was a great interaction. Like in my mind, I'm like, man, they got it. We're good. Walking out of there feeling good. Great <laughs> yeah, interaction. No, no. And, and then they're like, 
wow, that guy's really a dick. <laughs> but 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 it's guy. but it's been really cool to see. Like for me in the last year is just people. All they need to do is be heard and put into their strength, mm-hmm. and then you just like inject passion. Like that's what I'm realizing as a leader. It's just like just be more excited than everybody else in the room about everything that's happening. And then when they get excited, you get more excited. Yeah. Like to watch Austin that's recording this right now, build this studio and put this together and get us the right equipment and get us onto iTunes and do this podcast. And it's like, wow, his genius cells is alive right now. And it just gets me jacked mm-hmm. up about what we're doing. Right. So, and then I can lead through that and then he can, I feel like a leader really can be led by the people who they're working, who are working yeah. under them. They oh, actually yeah. like they're leading it. Like mm-hmm. I'm just like part, of, like I'm along for the ride. Yeah. And so it's been really, really fun to like see this and where we're going now yeah. is just astronomical. Well, and that's what for me, like I love pouring, and maybe that's like the motherly instinct in me, but I love pouring into other people. So I love, like I said, at Tom James, I did corporate recruiting for them. And then I also did coaching and training. So I did coaching calls with new partners every single day. Can I ask you a question about that? Cause this is, this is my biggest thing. So I'm the same way. Like I like pour heart and soul. Mm -hmm. How is it like, especially from a female perspective? Cause like, I'm like, I say I'm not emotional. I am emotional, but like when you pour your heart and soul into somebody and they don't they don't work out and you like, they, you know, they have it in them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause you, cause you like, I know you see potential in everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what was that? What is that feeling like for you? And like, how did you get through that? Because those first couple that you pour your heart and soul into and they leave you, it, it's just like, it, was it just, did you have this moment? Yes. I, yes. But at the same time, I had always been taught that, you know, you're going to pour into so many people and there's only going to be a select few of them that truthfully get it and, and, you know, follow you and join this with you. So I think that for me, it's like, if I poured into those people, when I poured into them, as long as they gained some type of skills, even though it didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. That's something where I have to step back because I'm just like, this is the way it needs to be. You need to do this. All you have to do to be successful is this, this, and this, like, let's just do it. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is wired that way. And so I think it's just because they didn't get out of something what I thought they should does not mean like I have people even now that had quit Tom James that would that still text me and they're like you are one of the best coaches I ever had even though I didn't stick with Tom James you taught me you know x y and z and so it's yeah it sucks and you pour all this time into these people and you love on them and they just walk away from you but at the same time i mean where would they be if you didn't even do that pouring I, I, in the I first place, it. right? I love, I love so that. it's just in network marketing, you have to pour into everybody. Yep. I mean, that's right, because you're trying to build this team. Yep. And so, you know, there's different ways around it that, you know, I've kind of learned recently that if I send somebody a 45 minute video and they're not even willing to look at that, I know now that the mentality is not there. I am not going to pour into that person right now. That doesn't mean I'm not going to continuously reach out to them and check in on them, but I'm not going to pour my heart and soul into them if they couldn't even spend 45 minutes to watch a video that I had asked them to. So 
the mentality you learn, you learn. for me has had yeah. to change. Yes, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, and you and you're very then you beca- you become more and more selective and it's yeah. more the racehorse versus the donkey and you mm-hmm. and it, you don't want to turn every chunk of coal into a diamond. That's like that's where yeah. I it's like okay, I just don't have the the time or energy to right. put into to this. Right. Right, I gotta like kind of fine tune some things for myself, and so I, those are a great answer. Yeah. To the question it's good insight for me even too. I, l- I like that answer a lot. Um, so with with door to door selling, going to network marketing, you're in financial planning. So very similar minds, like very similar paths. I feel like yeah. very p- different personalities. Yeah, and very. and so so <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, we complement yeah. each other well. Yeah, yeah. So so very interesting to me. Like uh, I there's a good friend of mine, Lindsay. We would talk a ton about um, relationships in door to door. And in sales and how relationships really have a lot of stress in in sales when when like but either there's really high performing sales people that are marrying or are mm-hmm. with somebody that are not, or when there's the sale on sale relationship, which is like the competitive nature is yeah. always there. Like, and we don't we don't have to dig into your relationship, but like words of advice on she's my, an open book. You right. can, I was say, she uh, will throw me under the bus immediately. <laughs> No, but like, like for real, like what, what have you guys kind of found to like being both sales, like just like the things that like, cause it's always competitive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, I know that, right? We, we talk about this all the time. It's like, what do you guys think for people that are out there? Like, is it just don't be so competitive? Is it, is it, or, or what do you, or is it be more competitive and encourage each other? Like what, what, what would you guys say is the piece, what, maybe for each of you, and maybe Brandon, you can start and kind of, and tell us like, yeah, what you do you, I, I don't know if I want to start because I want to hear it. So, you know, definitely uh, we've got some interesting, I feel like they're interesting perspectives on, 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 you know, balance, balancing the relationship while also, you know, working because, you know, for the fact that we were in, in the same career, the, the same internship program that it was my career at the time, um, we were di- different in years by by enough that we weren't competing as far as sales were concerned, but we did spend her third year when it was her first year corporate recruiting. We we worked on the same campus, and yep. so literally we we were we were work associates for that year, and uh, it didn't it didn't go very well. No. That, that might have played a part in the, the why she left at that time. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go sell suits because it it didn't work out very well as far as our relationship suffered. It it was, it was tough. We were at each other's throats. Um, and I don't even know why. I mean, do you remember any particular things that I did that got under your skin? It just it, we didn't work well together in that capacity. But I think it's great now with us both having that experience that I can relate to what she's experiencing. That, that's what I'm and, really looking for. Yeah. So now that you guys are both in sales, you're because you you're 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 in sales. You got to get people to. I think in anybody's a, in, in a rela- sales right, in yeah. a relationship business. And I'm saying with that happening. You know, like, are are you learning from the business that's going into the relationship, or do you think it's it's vice versa? Do you think you're learning from the relationship to business, or or both? Because like for me, like I feel like I've learned a lot about how to manage people and my business and my sales through my relationships right now, mm-hmm. and and sometimes it's the other way around. And I'm just kind of curious how you guys yeah, balance that coming from a very similar field. I think they, I I do think that they, you know, your your job can teach you. Things that can, that can help your relationship and vice versa. You know, one of the I, I remember, you know, we had these leadership conferences with Southwestern Advantage, and I, I remember one of them in particular was was one of the you know most charismatic, humorous speakers. I always loved going to anything that he would teach, and he did a part on, you know, what is it, whatever the the saying is, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and it, it was you know what he was talking about was you know how to relate it to 
you know, let's say you're a manager and you're coaching, you know, uh, one of the first year students that's of, of the opposite sex and just learning how to relate to them because it's like guys, um, typically the guys like to have, if they've got a problem and they tell you about the problem, what they're looking for is they're looking for a solution. You give them a solution. Whereas females, a lot of times they don't want you to just give them the answer. They want to be heard. And so it's not yep. saying, here's what you need to do. Just letting them talk. And, and so, and obviously not everybody is that way, not everybody, but that's just one of the things that, that, that I took away from that, that it's like, I try and use more in any relationship, whether it's my fiance or just a coworker or it's anybody. So, so they do play off each other, you know, really well. And, and, um, you know, I, I think for sure that they, they can help me be better in both areas and in, in my career, as well as in my personal life with relationships. So I don't know if you've got anything to add on that. Well, I don't know if this answers this specifically, but, um, I think that when you are with somebody else that is comes from the same sales type of background, we both were bred to be drivers and these like powerhouse salespeople. And so when you look at us in a relationship for quite some time, when we moved in together, <laughs> it was just like we were butting heads so bad because we were both used to being the dominant person in your own relationship. driver. Right. Yes. Yep. And so for us to then move in together and have to figure out like what our roles are and not, you know, I am a hundred percent open book and I'm the same way I'm blunt. And that can be really hard um, sometimes because I don't hold anything back. I say how I feel and it's like, and this is the right way too. And this is how we're doing it. And yada, yada, yada. And in the past, I think I'd always kind of been with people who were like, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure, Amanda, yep. like, you're right. Yep. And Brandon really, for a little while, did that. But then he really started to challenge me because for our relationship to grow, I didn't want to walk all over him. Not that I did, but I I wanted him to kind of give me that. Um, to, to open the driver's seat up a yeah, little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think that has been... And then, you know, for a while it was like I was making, you know, s the six figures and he wasn't quite at that place in his career. So then I was like, I'm I was the broke. I didn't make yeah, any money. I was like, I'm the breadwinner. And I, you know, and she so then I every single yeah, day. She just, she just <laughs> rubbed it in. <laughs> well, I was trying That's to motivate awesome. him, you know, I was trying to motivate him, but, um, now that she's starting over, now I yeah, tell her. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Now yeah. he's making the bread. <laughs> so, Look at this money. Yeah. So that's been good for us too, is to kind of change, quote unquote, who is the breadwinner as well, because that's kind of put both of us in check. Of that's a like, great like way to be coming into your married life too. I think right to like have, I mean I mean I mean I still want to be the breadwinner. I don't like that he is I, like. I would not mind right if she now. was the quote unquote breadwinner as long as as long as there's bread, I'll eat it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so if she makes more than me, I won't complain. Especially since you know I'm obviously increasing my income every year, and so if she passes me, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, and I you know I did think for a little while I was like I wonder if I would be a good stay at home wife and, and just give up my career. Cause when I left Tom James, I was really kind of in a dark place. And I, for a little while was like, maybe I just want to, you know, stay home. And that lasted like a week or two. Yeah, and then just I'm just like, knowing you just from this conversation, I, I can't do that this. Ever being, like, this uh, is not working out at all for me. So, um, 
we just, it, it's just kind of been different with us changing careers. And, you know, we used to live five hours apart too. Yeah. So we went from living five hours, well, eight hours apart then to five hours apart and then being gone from each other every summer selling books for three months at a time to moving in together. So it was just a lot Crazy for lifestyle. our, yeah, yeah, yeah for it, our personalities. And now with all this COVID stuff, I mean, we spend literally our offices are right next to each other in the house right now. And we spend all day doing, I mean, working and then spending every single night together. And we've been loving it, which I was, I mean, <laughs> sounds bad. But I was a little surprised. I think that a lot of people like are kind of surprised with that. You spending know? that much time together. But I think that some people it's not working out though. Didn't they say domestic yeah. abuse skyrocketed or something? <laughs> <laughs> and it hasn't worked out so well for everybody. Just, I think it's just it's just really it's really exacerbating any like good things or bad exactly. things going on in the world. Yeah. yeah. So we just it, yeah, it's been interesting for us. And I think too, you know, getting into a new career for me, my headspace is back to where it needed to be. That's been amazing on our relationship too. Because when you're in a career where again you're making your money based on how you perform you give so much to that career and to the people that you're coaching and training and again, pouring it's into. A, it's almost a family. Yes. And then you, you come home and you're just like, I have nothing to give. Yeah. I have nothing to give you right now. Almost and, to a fault. I mean, that was what, yeah. you know, for years with Tom James, that it was like, you know, she'd get home and she'd be so exhausted. It's like, she didn't have any time yep. for me. And, you know, that's obviously changed now that she's really able to, to, take back over the autonomy of her schedule and, yeah. and be able to have more of a balanced life. So but really there all, was that period where it was tough for her. So really it all comes back to balance, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like that's what we're, that's what we're all looking for. And I think taking our experiences from each level of life and each yeah. stage and saying, okay, I relate. And I think that's the, the EQ that would come back all full circle at the beginning. It's like we constantly emotionally become more and more intelligent about what's happening because of different life experiences. And then it allows us to better. And when you're talking about listening, I heard this and it blew my mind. It's just hold space. Like it was just like, just hold space. Don't listen, mm -hmm. just hold space. And it like, it changed from, from, from a mask, like from, from my mask to the mind. It made so much sense. I was like, Oh, just keep the room quiet. Like it was like, it made me like, okay, I can execute that. Yeah. And so it was like, that oh. helped me listen so much better because it was like, Oh, I don't need to listen. I just need to hold space. <laughs> but then naturally I'm going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, everyone. That's and I could like let it come. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Instead of being like, oh, I need to listen now. Because it felt like a task. Mm -hmm. then, yeah. where, whereas holding space was like, oh, I can, I can dominate holding the space for people. Yeah. You know, so like that, that's, that's just true. kind of cool for just like the emotional intelligence part of it. Every single step of the way, we're learning mm -hmm. how to understand each other more emotionally. Mm -hmm. And that's really the whole point of this whole thing is this connection and love and like in every single level, whether it's coworkers or relationships or whatever, that is sales, mm -hmm. is the right. connection. Yeah. Well, and I think too, kind of sidetrack, but not really. I think, you know, also when you're in sales and you meet other people that are in sales, you assume everybody's a driver and very dominant in this and that. And usually, I mean, that's the case, but like for, for, and you know, a lot of times salespeople want people to say, you're really good at your job and you're this and you're the top person and you're always getting recognition. Well, we actually had to take the love languages test because I don't like compliments. Like I don't like, I don't need that. I, and she's really bad at accepting that. I'm really bad. Yeah. At, really yeah. bad at I could, it. I can like, see that. Really are, you are you acts of service? 
So I am quality time and um, physical touch. Okay. Actually. So, but acts of service, well, I, I need to take it again because I do think acts of service would be higher for me, but like Brandon needs reassurance. What, what, were you, what were you, was your number one, the, the compliment, the, 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 what is that? It's, what is um, the love language? It's uh, words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. Yes. Yeah. And so for. That's it. It's a big one for me. Yeah. And so for I've a while. I've got a fragile ego. I, 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 I need. Isn't it so, isn't it so strange all stand, though? All stand-up comedians are that same way too. It's like we we need we need an audience laughing at us, and if if, if a joke bombs, it's like that's the worst thing. And 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 so I'm I'm definitely that's a big thing for me. So it, that was a huge motivation, you know. And and doing well is like oh, you know, if, if I'm the top seller for our group that week, I get you know whatever minor recognition that really has no value but it's meaningful for me let's dig down can we go down that rabbit hole a little bit because let's, like, let's dive let's, into let's, it the, this the stand-up comedy thing is like that's a big step like how long have you been doing it what made you want to do it like that's like very different yeah so stand-up is, is is different but it's the same i mean that's where it's like you talk about you know the the premise of what we're talking about is sales, and and you mm -hmm. can talk about. It. I think anybody in any any role, any job, there's a, an element of sales. You're always selling. Mm -hmm. You know, one of what four things? You're either selling a product, a service, you're selling an idea, or you're selling yourself. Well, yep. when you're, you know, on stage in stand up comedy, I think primarily you're selling yourself. That it's like you're building trust. You're you know easing the crowd. That is this guy going to be funny? Like you're up there, you're selling yourself, and and to a certain extent your ideas as well. And so it's different than the products and services I've sold through, you know, financial planning or door-to-door -door sales, but you're, you're always in an, in an element where you're selling something. And so why I got into it, I, I mean, I've always enjoyed uh, stand-up comedy going all the way back to, I remember when I was, I don't know, 11 or 12, the first CDs that I had burnt was Dave Chappelle and, and Brian Regan listening to when I was in, in middle school. Uh, but, it, you know, at, at that time it was, it was not like, oh, that's what I want to do or I want to be, but um, I, I always told my dad that I think that he should, uh, be a stand-up comedian. And, and part of the reason I, he was just hilarious growing up, you know, weird dad making jokes to his three kids. I'm the oldest, uh, younger brother, the younger real sister. Dad jokes. Yeah. I mean like yeah. the, the dad jokes, like, you know, it'd be like, he'd be like driving us back from my grandparents' farm and it'd be like dark and he'd like pull over at the, at the cemetery and be like, Oh no, we ran out of gas or the car broke down and we'd be like freaking out or. <laughs> We'd be like ready to like drive somewhere and he's like, all right, guys, get comfortable, you know, kick back, take a nap. I'm going to he's like, dad, you're driving the car. Like he just <laughs> right. like these dumb, these dumb dad jokes yes. that he would do just like being weird. And I always thought it was hilarious. And then for the fact that my mom, uh, left him, um, and, and also became a lesbian. I was like, that's like, like an ego, uh, like a, gut a, a, a gut punch, a kick in the nads there. And then, and, and he, you know, lost his job, had, you know, fell on hard times and had to move back in with my grandparents. And it's like, yeah, I think in comedy being, um, you know, s someone that people can look, look down upon for whatever it is, you know, people, people want to laugh about at, at your failures. And so it's like, if he embraced that and I, I told him that I was like, like you would be, I think that you'd do great if you just got over that fear and got up in front of people. And I told him that for, for years and years. And I still maintain that if he, if he gave it a shot, you know, I think, I think he'd be funny, but, yep. uh, especially with my coaching, but, um, you know, so, but he never did. 
And uh, so it was like years of me being like, you should do stand-up comedy. You should do stand-up comedy. It finally dawned on me. It's like, well, maybe the reason I keep like projecting this on him is because I, I think that I actually want to yeah. do it too. And it's, it's that, that fragile ego, that need for affirmation that I think, you know, partially drove it. It's like, yeah, I was, I was class clown in school. I was, I always enjoyed getting up to read my little report. Cause I knew I'd have those funny lines in there mm -hmm. that the class would laugh. So about. how long has it been now? So I got into it. Uh, the first standup I ever did. So when we were with Southwestern Advantage, we would do these leadership uh, meetings that'd be like a weekend training. And we'd go to like Phoenix or we'd go to New Orleans or we'd go to Chicago. And it was, it was 2011 when I was a junior at UNI and we went to Chicago for one of these weekend leadership retreats. Well, Chicago, there's obviously opportunities for doing open mics there more than small Cedar Falls, Iowa. So I was like, all right, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll give it a try. And uh, so I looked up an open mic and I found that there was one there. I don't remember if it was Friday or Saturday, but I found there was this, this open mic. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go there. I love this right now. Got, got to, got to the place where it was. And it turns out that it was a church that they were having this open mic at and they were doing it in the basement and it was a mixed open mic. So you've got not just stand up, it's not just comedians. You've got the, the, the poetry yes. and you've got musicians Slam and just, poets and all this. You've yes. got everything. And, and so I had written my five to seven minutes of just jokes that I had written that all looking back, they're all terrible jokes. Now I, I, I pulled it up a couple of years ago at an open mic just to go back through it. And I was like, man, none of this stuff would fly today back in 2011. The stuff that I thought was funny as a college student, a lot of perverted humor, uh, yeah, misogynist, just like all yeah. these like, like terrible jokes. But I, I had them all and I was, I was so nervous leading up to it. And then they called me up there and the group was really supportive, which was great. I had maybe two minutes of it memorized and so I, I said my jokes. It was like, like one of them was something like I've never done comedy before, but I have been laughed at a lot and, uh, something about, uh, doing it, and it's still yeah, working and it's still so working. Good. <laughs> God. What, what else was there? Uh, there was, uh, something about doing, the the funeral, Joe Pa's, Joe Paterno's funeral or something like that. And then like your cliche too. The, the jokes were terrible. <laughs> Um, and after t like two minutes, I had totally spaced. And so I pulled out my notes and I was just reading them, but the audience was super supportive and they, they clapped and, and they cheered and, and, uh, so fast forward. So like that, like <laughs> went, that went well, like you get your positive I'll affirmation. Think, yes, yeah. So, you, you know, it's like, I walk out of there, like that, that's where like it, it didn't go especially well. And I knew it while I was up there, but it's like, it's one of those things that's like, we're talking about this rejection. It's like, you get off stage and it's like, you feel like, you know, you're all hot and all sweaty and then you walk off stage and it's just like the, like the fresh air hits you and it's like, all right, I did it. Like that was not, and it so, was not bad. Bad. so you get that, that yep. first one under your belt, Yep. you sit back down and your friends are like, good job, man, that's awesome. And it's like, you know, it wasn't good, <laughs> but you know that you got out of your comfort zone and you did it. So that was in 2011. And then I knew that I wanted to do more stand up after that. So after I graduated in 2012, I actually moved to Chicago. So I, and I to was do doing stand up comedy. Do, yeah. So I, I knew I was going to be corporate recruiting with Southwestern. And so we yep. basically had to fall off. So I had sold books that summer and then got, got back in August and then moved to Chicago and was in Chicago through the fall. What's your, what, what, your first paid gig look like? The first time I actually got paid, I never got paid while I was in Chicago. The first time was actually here in Omaha right after right after I had moved here because I, I took a, kind of a hiatus after living in Chicago and then I had moved back to Iowa while I was corporate recruiting there for a couple years at the end. And in 2017, I moved back here to Omaha, saw that there was more of a comedy scene. And so I, I jumped, jumped right into doing all the open mics and then I did the... Um, clash of the comics at the, at the Omaha funny bone. And so the first time I did that in April of 17, 
um, I won the competition. So I got to open for a national touring comedian at the funny bone. And so then, you know, hosting, I got paid my 50 bucks and we took a picture that I had my, how did that feel? I mean, that was, so that was like, that was a big moment of like the first time, like, all right, I got paid to do stand-up comedy. Instead like paid of having to do to, what you love. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that what, on your little time hop or whatever, that picture popped up here. Cause what was it? It was, it was probably May. Cause I think it was, yeah. yeah, I think it was April, then. April, April that I'd won the competition. And then it was in that, yeah, late, late April, May that I got to host. And so it just popped up here on our timeline. That so has that pushed you ago. now to like make new, like, do you want to do like an hour special and like, like, start oh, to yeah, like push this? Cause you did the tour then. Yep. Yep. And, did, and was that, did you do a paid tour or, or I mean, or, so that, I mean, so the tour, it, it was, it was self-booked. It was me and then one other comedian that, uh, that, you know, we booked the venues and then sold the tickets and, uh, how and was then, that? I mean, so the experience, I'm, I'm really glad we did it because we were there during the Hong Kong protests. We went to Hong Kong and yeah. we, the, the protesters were like, <laughs> like, like four blocks away. They were, they were protesting where we were staying. Oh so yeah, we walked we, down we there. Videos of them. Like, yeah, we got videos. If you look on, on my Instagram, I'll drop my Instagram. We got the uh, we got like pictures of it. it. It that was like because this is something that they're talking about in the entire world is like this Hong Kong protest that's going on. And you're like, so how about these protests? <laughs> Let's go check it out. <laughs> that's incredible. So we walked down there, and it's like all these like smaller Asian college students all wearing black, and they're like, like it's like the real deal. They're like like pounding out street lights. They're like tearing up like the the sidewalk bricks and throwing them in the street so the police cars can't get through. They've got like fires going. Like this was like yeah. a real thing. And like we we stick out like a sore thumb, a six eight white guy <laughs> with all these like short little Asian people. I was trying to I Godzilla. Was, <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. I was, trying, <laughs> I was trying to help out. They're like giving me tools. Like here, can you reach that stoplight? Just like pounding out the lights. <laughs> can you fix our <laughs> massive eye roll over here? I was <laughs> so scared. She to was go scared. You'd hear gunshots and they were like tear gassing people. It, yes, it was the pretty day crazy. The cops were like starting to shoot people with their little like the pellet. pellets. Yeah, they were shooting them. Yeah. And I was so, like, so, and oh you were God. selling tickets in this environment. We didn't sell no. in that environment. <laughs> we're not. No, no. Tickets to the cup. Hey, you want you want a safe asylum? Come to the show. It only costs twenty five dollars. But we did we did pound the pavement, and so uh, the the areas where the protests were going on, fortunately, was not in the areas where. Um, you know where the shows were, and so around the the sh areas where they were, where the the comedy club was, you know, it was like the days leading up to it. We'd just go out for a few hours and just like talk to people and sell tickets, and we sold some that way. I mean, it's it was basically it was like door to door without the door there, like approaching people and talking to them if they you know have been to comedy shows, if they knew of the comedy club in Hong Kong, and you know, we I were, just love that hustle. We were selling selling tickets. We didn't sell a lot of tickets, but it's like it was <laughs> it was cool. My my buddy was like filming it, and we ha we had. Like people that were like offering us cigarettes and beers and, and it'd be like, Oh yeah, I'll take a beer or like like let's do a shot and it's like we got some free we got we got pretty sloshed. <laughs> Just go, going out and selling tickets, and I didn't have to spend a dime. So it was it was a worthwhile <laughs> use worth of our it. time. Worth the totally worth it. Trip. Yeah. So we we booked it all and we did everything. And I mean, it's like like the experiences that we had there are like like lifetime experiences. And like I'm really glad that we did. And and you know we made I think when you do the math, we made like. Negative fifteen thousand dollars or something like that. We we didn't make that, it. That's incredible. That's an incredible margin. I love that. Yeah, I it's, love it's that. a good profit margin. So, but it, it, it's it's networking. It. Totally, yeah. it's, it's worth it. Networking with people there. You know, if we go back, we do things, do some things different. But we've got some connections there. With some some comedians and 
and uh, some people that I would talk to again if they would you know come to the United States and want to go to you know hang out in Omaha if they want to come to the middle of the country. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was awesome. So we got to book a speaking tour, Austin. If if they can go to Hong Kong, we got to do it. Yeah, yeah, we can do it. Okay, cool. So um, yeah, this is amazing. Any like, is there anything else for like the people like listening, like that you like any like tidbits, any any words of advice? Because I'm I I listen to I don't know. Do you guys listen to a lot of podcasts? Some I I should be better. I listen to a lot of audio yeah, books, but not 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 as much uh, in the way of podcast. But I guess I'm gonna start listening. I'll be a subscriber to the I Sell podcast for mm-hmm. sure. Oh, nice shameless plugs! I love it. <laughs> um, so uh, the the big thing for me is like positivity. So I can listen to a lot of Gary V podcasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you guys oh, listen to Gary yeah. V? Yeah. I've heard of him, yeah. You really got to get on his stuff. He's incredible. Like, I love just positivity all the time. But um, what I found is sometimes the the smallest things that he says can really affect the the, the outcome that I go into the day with. And so I always like to end the thing with, is, like, there anything right now that, like, has really been a good eye-opener for you and this is a really tough question. You can say, you know, I don't, I don't have much, but, but is there anything like in your life right now or, or things that are like currently going on that are like, Hey, you know, this is something that, that this is a step you can take to really make sure you're on, onto the, the right uh, step for you. I think a lot of people, let me try to rephrase this. I think a lot of people are, are not in balance. Mm-hmm. And I think as we start to come to balance, everyone's coming into equilibrium every single day. Mm-hmm. What are some of those things for you right now that are helping you like stay in a balanced uh, position? So I will say it from a different side of it. So I've always put my goals on my mirrors in my bathroom. So as soon as I wake up in the morning, I see my goal. And when I was at Tom James, it was, my goal was 150 units, whatever it was. And so every single morning I saw that goal. And that was the very first thing to get me going for the day and get me moving and get me excited and every night coming home, just getting to check off those units at a, as I've sold them yep. to me was like, yes, okay, like I'm doing, I'm, I got out today and maybe I only sold one unit today, but I went out and I worked really, really hard today and it's all going to happen. And I think that for me has always been just being able to see your goals in front of you. Again, like we've talked about, whether you truly believe them at that point or not, it's having them in front of you and consistently writing them down and just seeing them and envisioning it. And I will say, and Brandon can attest to this, I have not, I've, I still write my goals down every single day, um, but I have not, since I left Tom James, gotten back to putting it on my mirror. And I think that that, for me, I'm waking up not seeing that has definitely, I now realize I need to go home and do that. Like I love tonight that. Because that to me has, and you, I mean, you would agree with that. Like my attitude has always been, I wake up, I see that, you know, it's good. It's, we're ready. And, you know, just one of the other things, like right now we're actually headed to Glenwood to go with friends to look at land on where we want to build our dream home. So like you said, going and seeing that um, G-Wagon that you want and sitting in it and driving it. And, you know, I know a lot of people go and they drive in the neighborhood that they want to live in someday. And so it's just putting yourself in that position and knowing that it's it's going to happen if you just continuously believe in it and, you know, you're writing your goals down and you're and you never seeing quit. yourself. Yeah. And you're seeing yourself in that. So I don't even know if I answered your question, that was, but that, that was, was exactly something what I was that looking I, for. 
know that has so much helped me. And I can tell right now I have not done the goals on my mirror as I always have before. I don't know why I haven't in the last month. I need to get back to that because that for me has always brought me into a really, really great headspace. I love that. I love that. That was like the self-realization right here. That's so yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. I need to get back to that. So yeah. when I get home, that That's will be awesome. happening. There you go. And then, so you, you were going back to talking about balance and things going on right now. And, and just as far as my perspective on balance, it, you, you do hear a lot of respected people kind of have different opinions. I'm sure you've probably read some different things about you know, diff- different philosophies on balance. I mean, some people say, you know, it's all impo- it's important to have a balanced lifestyle. And some people are saying that, that it's not. I, 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 one of the approaches that I, I have uh, appreciated, that I, th- I think there is some merit to this philosophy on, on the subject of balance. And I think it's all about long-term balance. And, and there are different seasons of life that you don't have to be every single day in balance or every single week. And that was what was so, what I really appreciated about Southwestern is it was like, I didn't have any balance in life during the summer. It was 12 weeks, as she mentions, 80, 85 hours a week. It was like the only thing I focused on was selling these educational products during the summer. And then during the fall, that's when I'd have time to travel and do things like stand up comedy. And it wasn't as much of a focus. And it's just like life goes through these seasons and so it's not all about every single day you need to have balance, but that was one of the challenges that you faced with Tom James is that it's like, it, it was like Southwestern in the fact of like all day, every day, so focused on selling, mm-hmm. but there was no end to it. It wasn't this seasonal where it's like, all right, you're going to bust your ass for these three months and selling as many suits as you can. And then you're going to take three months off. It was just basically, this is what the rest of your life is. And so that's where you needed that balance there to be able to, to, to understand kind of the seasons and, and be able to have that. So like for me, the seasonality is, is, you know, I, I, I do truly look at it from the perspective that I have two full-time jobs, you know, during the day I'm a standup or a, a financial planner during, I don't do a whole lot of day gigs. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've done some before, like the 10 AM show for like these fifth through seniors in high school. Those shows are interesting. Uh, but then in the, in the evenings, that's when you've got stand up comedy. Well, with the pandemic, it's like basically every comedy show has gotten shut down. There's no stand up comedy right now. So, you know, but there's been a whole lot of market volatility. The stock market has been going crazy over these last, last two months. It's yep. somewhat settled down, but that, so right now it's my, my daily life is much more heavily focused on financial planning right now. And yep. then when, you know, when things go back to normal and everybody's out and about and they start having comedy shows again, then it'll get more back into that balance. And when I'm, you know, in Asia for three weeks, it's like, that's primarily focused on stand up comedy. And so just understanding balance doesn't need to every single day, you know, you're doing every single thing and it's a totally balanced day, but it's just over the long term, And then throughout the seasons, things can balance out. And I think that's, that's, I like that approach to balance as opposed to every single day. You know, you have days and weeks that are focused on that one specific thing. Well, and some days you sow and some days you reap, especially in the sales world. Some days you are, you know, reaching out to all those referrals and you're knocking on those doors and you are setting up the appointments. And then some days you're making the money, right? But like if you don't do both consistently and just be, I think that'd be the other thing is just consistency is a hundred percent key. Like every day you have to show up. You don't have to be the best version of yourself every single day. If you feel like you can't that day, but you have to show up, you have to knock on that door. You have to, 
you know, call that next person, you know, whatever it is, you just have to show up. And so it's not always going to be balanced, but that's where the consistency comes in. Consistency comes in. Guys, thank you so much. This was, this was, this was, this was was absolutely incredible. Like for not, for not knowing each other at all. I think this is, was an amazing conversation. So I really appreciate you guys coming on. We'll, we'll get you the link and sweet. Cool. Thanks for having us on Zach. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. Thanks.